0: Edwin Frondozo on the business leadership podcast every week for a unique program featuring insights and actionable items from the world's most successful business leaders Hear firsthand the exclusive interviews and personal journeys on how today's transformational leaders made it to the top.
1: Hey everybody, it's me. It's Edwin. And thank you for joining me for another episode of the business leadership podcast today. I'm really excited to share the conversation I had with Eva Wong Eva is the co-founder and COO of Borwell, a Canadian fintech company that is changing the way we get loans and receive our credit score. It was great hearing her thoughts on leadership within the financial services industry. What she learned by going on a trade mission to the UK with the Toronto mayor John Tory, I was really impressed with her passion and conviction on leading the way on advancing women within tech roles both within the industry and executive roles. But before jumping in, I want to give a quick shout out to my media partners, IT World Canada, for their overwhelming support for the podcast. So enjoy the show. Welcome to the show, Eva.
0: Thank you. I'm uh, very glad to be here.
1: Yo, yeah, well, first off, thank you so much for joining us today, Eva. I'm really happy and excited to meet you. But Eva, why don't we start off by telling a bit about yourself. Tell us who you are, And what do you like to do?
0: Well, as you mentioned before, I uh, have two kids. so I'm a mom, I'm a wife, family is really important to me. I'm the co-founder of a Toronto-based, you know, fast-paced startup company. So that takes up a lot of time and is also super exciting. So I'm glad to do that. And uh, yeah, like I'm pretty involved in my church community. And I also like to have some time for family and friends. So it's a pretty full life, but I feel... uh, pretty privileged and blessed to be able to to lead it and to lead it in Toronto.
1: That's amazing. That's amazing. And you mentioned your work is with BorrowWell. So why don't you tell us about your current role at Boroughwell? What are you trying to do and accomplish there?
0: Yeah, I mean, what we're trying to do is make credit easier to understand for Canadians. And at Boroughwell, we think that there is um, a consumer debt problem in Canada, that um, consumer credit is Not sort of the way it should be. And uh, for that reason, Canadians hold a lot of credit card debt. They pay a lot of interest that they probably shouldn't be paying. Uh, And I think a big reason for that is there isn't a lot of financial education. And I think a lot's been written about that in the press these days. So what Borwell really is about is helping Canadians make the best choices for themselves uh, as it pertains to accessing credit. And in terms of like specific products and how we do that, we were the first company in Canada to offer Canadians their credit scores for free. So that's in a partnership with Equifax. And so any Canadian can come uh, right now we're not in Quebec, but other than that, uh, when we hope to launch there soon, we can offer your credit score. It only takes a couple of minutes, doesn't affect your score. And then we can recommend different products that make sense for your specific credit profile. So whether that's a loan that we provide ourselves or a product from someone else, we just want to help Canadians pick the best product out there for them.
1: That's awesome. Big job and responsibility that uh, yeah. BorrowWell yeah. is taking on on themselves. I yeah. mean, making credit easier to understand is, it sound, seems like a black hole to me. I'm not sure. <laughs> I, I am familiar with Equifax. Uh, in the past, I, I've used them, and I guess it was a paper use service, correct? Right. So that's amazing yeah. that you provide that service for free. Now, you mentioned financial education, and on passing, and maybe you could correct me if I'm wrong, it seems like that's a little bit of news with with education for our kids now there there seems to be something passing about teaching that because growing up my parents were immigrants no one taught us about financial education and and the first thing that happened when i went to university is i signed up for a, a credit card so so how how are you at borwell or or the strategies on that changing
0: Yeah, no, I think you're right. And the reason for that is because it does feel like, and there's lots of evidence to show that Canadians aren't necessarily making the best choices for themselves. I mean, one example that I mentioned before is credit card debt. So something like 30 to 40% of Canadians carry a balance on their credit card, which means they don't pay off the full amount every single month. And most of those people are paying 20% interest. So that's the same thing as like going to the bank And taking out a loan and paying 20% interest, which you know most people would say that's crazy. Like, why would I do that? And so I think if people are making choices like that, we want to understand why. I think a big piece of it is like people don't necessarily understand what credit is, how to use it, what rate is fair, what alternatives are 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 out there. And so I think um, it's super important for our kids to be learning that, but it's also important for all of us to take a bit of time to understand. You know what are the right choices because it actually affects our whole lives it doesn't just affect your finances I mean we've done lots of surveys as well and like people who are carrying credit card debt feel really stressed about it it creates a lot of anxiety it you know exacerbates any mental health challenges that people have and it really affects like people and their families and and their relationships so uh, we want to help Canadians again make the best choices for themselves and save some money and and take more control over their finances
1: well that I commend you on that. And definitely, I hope my, my daughter Jade learns this, these lessons as she grows up. I mean, there's still time to learn, but I feel like I want to teach her before one years old, um, about, about, about debts and credit scores. She'll be far, far
0: ahead. Yeah. (laughs)
1: Definitely far ahead. So Borwell is, is making waves in the Canadian fintech industry, not only by this education, but I read that there were key partnerships, like with CIBC and, and, as mentioned, Equifax. Can you share with us? I mean, the successes with these, and also the challenges that came up with these partnerships, and how yeah. and, and, and how did they come about?
0: Yeah. Well, we've been working with Equifax since the beginning because uh, we started out just doing personal loans, and uh, that requires a relationship with Equifax. And so we use the credit score and the credit report, like many lenders do to assess basically like how risky is this person? How likely are they gonna be to pay us back? And so uh, one of the things we realized is that we got some early feedback from people saying, oh, I'm surprised I was declined for a loan. Like why, I've got a great credit score. And we would be looking on the other side and seeing what their real credit score was, but we weren't able to share it with them. And we could see that they actually didn't have a great credit score. So we realized that there was a real gap in the market and people aren't necessarily willing to pay the $25 in order to get their credit score or their credit report. Um, And so we started a conversation with them. And to their credit, they are very open to that. That's a big part of Equifax's belief as well. They want to educate people and they want to make sure people understand what goes into their credit score. And so it really was a true partnership about, you know, how could we launch this? How could we do it so that, you know, it makes business sense as well? I mean, if we're four paying for these credit scores, so it needed to be a price that was reasonable And we didn't want to limit it we wanted to be able to do it across the country and so uh, it really was a true partnership and i think there were some shared goals about wanting canadians to understand this more and have access to information which you know really is their information so that's for sure was Equifax. it it was a challenge i mean we are still a small company we were even smaller a year ago when we launched this and so um yeah it does become a challenge working with big companies very cool one thing
1: this came to mind as you were talking about Equifax and the credit score, and you could correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't they offer a free service as well?
0: So Equifax gives you your credit report for free, but not your credit score. So if you sort of think of your report card, the credit report is like all of the written text about about it. So it's um, it's basically like all the transaction data, but it doesn't give you the score. I think most people want to know like, am I an A and a minus? You know, where do I stand? And the credit score is the number, and in that doesn't get given for free that's like taking all the information in your report and calculating a score so now what we do is we give that score for free
1: that's awesome yeah and
0: then in conjunction you can get the report for free from Equifax so you can sort of get the that, whole shebang
1: that's right so you get the both yeah. uh, the everything is free I'm signing up tonight yeah
0: and I'm happy to chat about CBC <laughs> as well I didn't answer that part of your question so um In terms of CIBC, we launched a partnership with them in October of last year, and we're powering uh, an online loan for CIBC's customers. So that's been super exciting for us because it just allows us to be able to reach more Canadians with this product, and I think it's been exciting for CIBC because it's allowed them to become the first big bank in Canada that's offering uh, an instant online loan. So uh, that's been super exciting for us. The first customer who came to us through CIBC they applied for a loan at 3 p.m. it was approved at 6 p.m. and the funds were in their CIBC bank account at 9 a.m. the next morning so uh, it's it's been a really exciting partnership
1: great and uh, me being in the in the business space and the startup space there's plenty of competition now in this third alternative lending can you talk about that a bit
0: yeah i mean there definitely is competition from other startups like ourselves Um, And then you can sort of argue as well, you know, like we are in a way competing with the banks who are issuing the credit cards or, you know, the banks provide loans as well. But I think um, the general consensus in the industry is that the biggest hurdle is actually breaking the inertia of Canadians just doing the same thing that we've always done. That's actually the hardest thing. Uh, in some way, competition is good, especially from other startups, because it raises awareness that there is such a thing called fintech. Right? There are these new financial technology companies that are changing the way things are done. I think offering really exciting opportunities. I think the hard thing is getting the word out to Canadians that this is a real thing. These are real companies, you know, backed by real investors who know what they're doing, and uh, things are going to change. So we're looking for those, you know, early adopters and uh, you know the, the people who are going to take this mainstream to try it out. So appreciate opportunities like this to be able to like share with listeners about the opportunities and the exciting things that are happening in the financial technology space.
1: No, I I appreciate it. I'm always excited to learn about new technologies. Uh, What I found really interesting is, I guess a couple years back, you accompanied uh, the mayor of Toronto, John Tory on a business trade mission to the UK. It sounded like you learned some things from the innovation space, the pros and cons of the Canadian banking industry, and also you learned and probably took back some of your learnings from third-party alternative uh, banking or financial systems as well. So my question is, how did how did the mission help you grow as a leader within the tech space in Canada and also within your organization?
0: Yeah, I mean, that was a great opportunity. I think it really is kudos to Mayor Tory and to his team. To, that was the first... Uh, global mission he'd embarked on since becoming the mayor, and he decided that it was going to have a financial technology focus. So he invited, I think, four or five fintech companies from Toronto to go to London. And London is is well known as a fintech sort of hotspot in the world and arguably one of the top places in the world for fintech. So it was super exciting to be able to go and see it. I think one of the things that uh, was really helpful for me as a leader is sort of seeing the future of what, you know, Toronto and what Canada could look like. Because in London, fintech is just prevalent. It's everywhere. It's in the subway system, right? There's ads for all these different kinds of uh, payment systems and money transfer systems. Even if you go park a car, like before we had the Pea app, there are apps for you know paying for your parking. And so I think for me, it was just uh, more a sign of, of the future. So uh, it was exciting to be able to see, uh, it sort of lived out for real, how uh, how fintech can really change um that, you know, change the society and change the culture
1: No, it's interesting as you talk about the future being in London and perhaps that's the way Toronto is going to go would you say that London or UK or Europe even per se is just as a society a little more advanced in terms of, of credit and financial
0: I- I don't know that that's that's necessarily true. The government has been very supportive. And I think that's something that we can learn from here as well. And, you know, our government and a lot of the regulatory bodies are stepping up and are taking the initiative to do things like that. Because I think it does require some sort of government support just to make sure that, you know, the playing field is even. I don't think any of the fintechs want uh, an uneven or sort of unfair advantage over the big banks. But the banks have been here for so long, uh, it's hard to compete. And I think... In the UK, there's just this realization that more competition is good for consumers. And so uh, it's important to make sure that some of the rules and regulations that exist that, you know, may not apply anymore in 2017 or may not apply to small companies that have like 25 people, that, you know, some of the that burden could be a bit onerous for a small company.
1: Very cool. Very cool. I'm going to change up the gear a little, maybe step away from fintech. I know we could probably talk about it for <laughs> hours. But this is another topic that's pretty close to your heart, and maybe getting closer to my heart, having a, having a young daughter as well, but I found that you're, you're very passionate about leading the drive on creating an inclusive workplace and hiring women in the tech industry. I read that you were quoted, when you have three developers and one woman, it's probably going to be easier to hire one more woman. But if you have eight developers and one woman, it's harder. With that in mind, can you tell us how you continue to push for this inclusive workplace?
0: Yeah, actually, I feel like I should change that example. I should say when you have like four developers and three are women, it's easier to hire another woman, which is true. But, you know, I don't think that's the case um, in a lot of places. No, I think um, that's one thing that's really struck me being in fintech. I went to my first fintech conference and I looked around the room and it was 85% men, you know, 80 80, to 90% men. There just were very few women. And I... I think there's some sort of combination of the fact that it's startup, it's technology and it's financial services. There just aren't a lot of women. Uh, And so I I think it was just one of those things about like, how do you change that? How do you, A, help more women feel excited about it, interested in it? And then how do we make sure that we're, uh, you know, we're we're not putting up any barriers that we're not aware of in in terms of recruiting women and, and making sure the women are represented. So, I mean, I heard one, uh, One person say like you can't be it if you can't see it, and so I think that's part of the reason why I've been willing to be more um, visible in speaking on panels and and things like that because I think when women see someone, it's like I'm not the typical startup co founder for you know that people think of I guess from the social network or from other movies. You know, you sort of think of a startup person being in their early 20s, being male, you know, probably white and uh, wearing a hoodie. And so I think uh, it's important to challenge those stereotypes. And I've had an amazing experience, you know, being part of something like this. And I want to make sure that other people, you know, just are, are open to that and open to exploring it.
1: That's great. I mean, you're opening doors for 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 many women out there. And if you didn't catch that, Eva just mentioned that she's a co-founder of a fintech company, no background in financial services, startups or technology, which is super super amazing and I mean Eva congratulations thank you for moving the dial and and changing the way women are perceived in the tech world and hopefully for the foreseeable future but given what you're doing what more can be done outside of being on panels to help change the perception so that more women have the audacity to not only apply but also to succeed in this type of role
0: yeah no I think there's a lot that that can be done Uh, You know, um, being on panels and speaking with other people, I think a lot of times companies just sort of, they're just not aware of how they may be discouraging women and other, you know, minorities from applying for positions. Uh, And so I think there's a lot of awareness that can be brought to employers and to companies just to make sure that they're being as inclusive as possible. And I think for most of them, uh, you know, they just don't think about it. Diversity and inclusion isn't something that they're thinking a lot about. All of a sudden, they have a company that's like 20, 30, 40 people, and they look around and they have a senior leadership team that's eight men. And But they would say, but we didn't do it on purpose. We just hired people. And now they're trying to fix it. And so I think just raising awareness for people, uh, not just for women to say, you know, how do you apply and how do you, uh, you know, how are you, how do you get sort of a career that you want in this, but also for men and for other people who are at these companies and who are leading companies to, to be aware that there are things like gender diversity is important. I think everyone recognizes that there's lots of business reasons for having more diversity as part of your company. And, you know, to what I referenced before, it's, it's hard to build that diversity when you're 50 people and you're 80% men, it's harder to attract women and minorities to work in um, work in a company like that. So yeah, I think it's just helping people a recognize the problem early and make sure that they're recruiting from diverse networks would be one thing. Uh, making sure they've got a diverse diverse pipeline of candidates. It doesn't just start when you put the job description out. And I think these are things that I've learned as well, is you just sort of expect, well, a woman will apply, and then we'll just hire the best person. It's like women don't necessarily apply. If you say in your job ad you're looking for a ninja, not that many women self-identify as ninjas. So (laughs) I think there are things in there that we've learned over time when it comes to job descriptions, when it comes to building a diverse network, um, that we are continuing to learn, but I want to sort of spread the message of.
1: Oh, that's awesome. I mean, do you see any positive changes? Are there any companies that that are doing the right thing that you see?
0: Yeah. Um, so, I mean, one of the things that's really encouraging to me is that this issue is getting lots more attention, and there are companies in Toronto and elsewhere who are making this a public goal, who are, you know, making good strides towards it, I think in, um, in the Valley as well, like Facebook and Google are measuring things, they're publishing their metrics on, on diversity. It, th- it doesn't look good, but at least they're measuring it and then making strides towards it. And I've also found, you know, I have more female founders coming and saying, it's like, oh, I'm starting this. So I think that's really encouraging as well. Um, they're definitely, it, and it's, it's both sides of the equation. It's both, you know, women saying, I want to do this and putting themselves out for roles and um, employers as well, just saying, look, this is a real area of importance for us. So we're going to work harder and do more in order to encourage uh, more diverse candidates to apply. Great. So
1: in terms of leadership, it always fascinates me to hear how some of today's leaders got to where they are and Maybe they had to make some changes, maybe transform the way they do things to get where they are today. Can you tell us or maybe share with us what would you say was your biggest turning point in your career like to get here?
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, before I was doing this, to your point, I hadn't worked at a startup or in technology or in financial services other than a job at CIBC, actually, when I was a student. But yeah, I mean, someone took a chance on me. Like our CEO and uh, co-founder Andrew Graham really took a chance on me, and uh, and you know having me come into this role. So uh, it definitely isn't all ability. There's there's always an element, I think, of of luck in in things. Um, so I think that was definitely like the, the turning point of. Uh, of me sort of embarking on, on this career. But I think there's an element of, you know, it was very different from what I'd done before, and I sort of just looked at it. So, you know, I had to convince Andrew that this was something I wanted and, and that, you know... I thought I could be good at. So um, there definitely is an element of putting yourself out there. And you mentioned the word audacity. I think, you know, that's a big thing. It's like, believe in yourself, believe you can do it, at least try and then see and not be afraid of failure. And so uh, I feel like I've done that a number of times in my career where I've just completely switched and done something different, but I I was excited about and wanted to to pursue. And I've never regretted, you know, making career shifts and making career changes.
1: That's great. And it's always... I love listening to people always change whatever they're doing to something new. And, and obviously, I'm sure we could talk about it. There was anxiety, nervousness. Yeah. Thinking, yeah. thinking about it. I guess what the question I was trying to get to is, and you mentioned it, that you had to convince Andrew <laughs> to to work with you or partner with you. But who... Who made the first uh, move? Did you speak to him or did he? Did you apply or did did you guys meet each other?
0: Yeah, so Andrew and I knew each other. We had worked together for many years before. Um, and then, I mean, as part of it, I think it was always going to be a trial on, on both sides. Like I wasn't 100% sure that this was something I wanted to do. It was very different. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm sure for him as well. So yeah, I mean, part of it was that I volunteered to do, like, a little project at the beginning. And so that was, like, a good way for us to sort of test out the relationship. But I, I'm pretty sure I asked first. I'm pretty sure I, like, sort of said, look, this is super exciting. And I was like, look, I'll, I'll volunteer to help, you know, with this, like, small piece of, of what you're building. And then uh, I just never left.
1: Ah, so Andrew Andrew made you j- jump through hoops.
0: <laughs> yeah, I volunteered. <laughs> no, okay. I volunteered to jump through hoops.
1: <laughs> that's great. That's great. Yeah. And th- you came in, and, and BorrowWell is looking to grow and scale now. And, and that seems to be the sites that... You guys are looking at at this yeah. point. Your role will obviously change as well. So, how, how do you f- foresee yourself adjusting now as well to suit the needs of the business and, and the people that that work there?
0: Yeah. No. I mean, I think that's um, that's a big part of being at a at a fast paced startup. Your role's always changing, and that's the exciting part of it as well. So, I think it does involve you know being willing to let go, understanding when you need to hire an expert to do something, and then you know having that roll off. Uh, off my plate, I think it's probably especially true for the COO role because it is sort of ever evolving. It's it's a bit of a catch all role where you know I'll do things until we hire someone and then you know move on to the next thing. But yeah, I think that's part of the excitement of being at a startup. So uh, it's it's being willing to let go of things uh, in order to you know pursue bigger, better things and uh, and taking on new projects. But yeah,
1: no, I find I find when I talk to to a lot of leaders, a lot of C levels. A big thing, and you mentioned it was was letting go of of your responsibilities in hiring experts. Would you say that's your biggest challenge at this point, or I, have I you say, gone over it?
0: Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think my biggest challenge, um, again, and where Borowall is at, we're you know just under twenty five employees. I think the hard thing is like I'm still doing a lot, and you know that's needed because you know we all roll up our sleeves and, and do things. But I can become so busy doing things that I don't pull back and take time to think about the strategic and the important things, right? Like all day long, I could fill my day with tasks that take like five to ten minutes. But uh, if I don't step back and sort of think strategically, if I'm not reading, if I'm not, um, you know, talking to people, I think uh, it, it can become very myopic. And I think that's the that's the challenge: is how do you stay strategic when you still are involved in the day to day operations in a lot of ways?
1: Oh, that's awesome. I'd love to learn some tips from you as well as you move forward and and grow the organization as well, because I find myself always caught up in some operational thing that I haven't handed off as well. So yeah, (laughs) definitely looking forward to that. Fun question. If I were to ask your team, what's the best leadership quality you possess? What do you think they would say?
0: I really should have asked them what it was and then I could have had an honest answer for you. So if I ask Andrew, uh, our CEO, I think what he would say is that um, it's a combination of my willingness to roll up my sleeves and, and sort of do anything. I think um, I've always sort of been willing to do that in order to learn. And I mean, it's just, if it needs to get done, then let's just get it done. And executing to a really high quality. I think, you know, there's, um, I think for us at Borwell, one of the big things that's important to us is is trusting our colleagues and being able to trust that, our teammates are going to be able to execute it um, against what they say they're going to do. So I think that's a, a big piece of it. Um, I think that I, I in terms of like the team that reports to me or a team that I manage, I think feedback is a really important piece of uh, of what we do. And uh, I'm always thinking about for each team member, like what is it that they need to do in order to grow in their role. And so, uh, thankfully, with a fast-paced organization, there's Places for people to go and, and lots of room for growth. So, I I think one of the exciting things about working at Borowell is that the leadership team we do take a real interest in everyone's career and their development and you know what they want to learn, and and so I think that's a that makes things pretty exciting for people, right? It's that uh, we don't just see them as this, you know, nameless, (laughs) faceless worker bee where you just are in to do a job. It's like, no, like, what, you know, what do you care about? Like, what do you want to do? What do you want to learn? And how can we give you the opportunities to grow? And, you know, as everyone grows and everyone's, you know, really working towards their best capacity, we're just going to do amazing things as a company. So I think that sort of element of like, coaching and uh, and helping people become the best of who they are that's that's what I would hope (laughs) to be as a manager whether it's true or not uh, I'll have to ask my team
1: (laughs) awesome Noah. that and that's really important to be listening to to the people around you they're they're all there for really for the leadership team that's there they they want to make make it work for you and also if you want to make it fun and work for them as well and I guess at the size of Borua 25 you really you know almost everyone, not only by first name, but probably you still know what people like to do and and you guys hang out and do fun things together at at this size of a startup.
0: Yeah, for sure, for sure.
1: So you shared with me earlier that Sheryl Sandberg is one of your leadership influences and for a good reason. Can you tell us what's the most notable leadership attribute? That you admire from her, and perhaps something that you are you yourself are striving for.
0: Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's uh, it's not the most creative answer. I'm sure a lot of people admire Cheryl uh, Sandberg once she's done. I think she does a very good job. Um, obviously, like being very smart and being very capable and, and executing, but also being sort of warm and empathetic. Like she comes across as being very approachable, very thoughtful. I think there's a real vulner- vulnerability around her as well, especially in, you know, some, she's shared a lot about how she's coping with the unexpected death of her husband in an accident. And so I think she's become, she's she's um, like a very whole authentic person and she brings her whole self into her leadership. So I think that's something I really admire about her.
1: No, that's awesome. Outside of Cheryl, is there anyone else who you look towards, maybe closer to home, mentors, other Books or maybe groups for advice. Um, do you have a circle of uh, a circle of mentors?
0: Yeah, I I feel very fortunate to have um, a couple of circles of uh, peers, um, and so I know you know Paul Teshima was on this podcast and he mentioned he had a group of um, a fellow founders in a forum, and so I'm part of one as well, which has been a great source of camaraderie and advice. Uh, and there's also a group of Toronto um, technology COOs and so that also has been really great like people who are doing a similar job to me and a very sized uh, company so it's been great to to have that as like a sounding board and, and peer group
1: oh great so do you guys meet regularly or is it more just casual you could email them you go out for drinks or go for lunch or is it more um, like a mastermind group
0: Yeah. So it is uh, definitely, you know, we email during the week um, as needed, but it's actually a relatively formal structure of like, you know, meeting once a month, having an agenda, going through things. Um, Yeah. There's, there's a bit of a framework, which I actually find quite helpful.
1: Yeah. It's definitely, uh, definitely nice to have a manual and and something to follow. And I, I, I believe that as well. Yeah. That's awesome. Really, really enjoying our time today, Eva. Thank you so much. But before we end, Can you share any final thoughts, some actionable recommendations for the future business women leaders who are looking to grow their career or or even make changes like you did?
0: Yeah, I think it is important to have um, a group of uh, either mentors or or peers that are supporting you in that. I feel like this is something that... um, I I don't do enough of and that a lot of successful business leaders do, which is like they have that network of people that they're checking in with people. Maybe they're in a similar uh, role, but at a different company or a different industry. And I think it's really important to have that network of people who, you know, know a bit about who you are and know your industry and, and can really give you advice. And so, um, yeah, I, I think that that's important. It's it's easy to sort of be in your own echo chamber. or uh, And different people will need different things from it. Like, maybe for some people, it really is that encouragement to just get out there and do it. You know, maybe you need to hear, like, you're super qualified, like, just go and in, in, in check it out. And other people may need more of a sounding board or, you know, more like a realistic uh, gut check about what's, you know, what's doable, what's not doable. So, but yeah, I think sometimes we get caught up in our day-to-day and it's just like getting things done that we don't think about the relationships and we don't think about having that network of people who are there supporting you or you're know, supporting each other. And I think that's been one of the fantastic things, at least uh, in Toronto within the technology community, there really is a community. And I think, you know, there's a lot of people going through the same thing. It can be very lonely. It can feel like you're up against this brick wall. So it's great to sort of hear from other people who have been through something and can offer some advice.
1: That's Great. Any advice for those who are listening to find that type of peer group? Like, where's the lowest hanging fruit to do that? Like, it's not, if I were listening to you right now and I'm in this, I feel that problem, feeling alone, I'd want a peer group right now. Like, where would I find that?
0: Yeah, um, it's a good question because I don't know that it's super easy to, to do. But I think even just reaching out to someone in the same role as you, who is at a different company. I've, I found in the past, it's like, it's, it's a mutually beneficial relationship, right? It's not just like, oh, I'm reaching out to you and can you do me a favor? It's more like, look, you know, we do similar things. Maybe we can learn from each other. And I think there's been great openness to doing that. So that could be one way. And then as you meet different people, I mean, there are going to be some people that you click with more than others. And so, um, I think that would be like one way to potentially get started.
1: Awesome. That's great. Thank you for sharing that. And to close, Eva, please tell us where we can find more information about you, BorrowWell, how do we get our credit
0: <laughs> credit score, checked,
1: <laughs> and any, any other events that you may be attending that, that we should know of.
0: Yeah, so you can definitely follow me on Twitter. I, I'm at Eva underscore Toronto. And BorrowWell is at BorrowWell. It's B-O-R-R-O-W-E-L-L. And at, for sure, check out your credit score if you're in Canada. Come and get your credit score for free. It's BorrowWell.com.
1: And I will definitely post the, uh, the link on, uh, on the podcast homepage as well.
0: Thank you so much. So
1: thanks for joining the show, Eva. I had a lot of fun and uh, hope to see you soon. Yeah, for sure. Thank you for listening to the episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I learned quite a bit about the financial and credit issues here in Canada. And I'm sure this goes worldwide. I mean, I'm probably going to go online. And get my free credit score from BorrowWell. And if you're interested as well, getting your credit score for free. Unfortunately, it's only available in Canada at this point. I'll definitely let you even know if you're interested worldwide. Simply go to the episode website. Go to thebusinessleadership.com slash 007. And I'll post a link there. And thank you for joining me. If you did enjoy this episode, please subscribe and leave me a comment on iTunes, Google Play, on your favorite podcast medium. I'm eager to hear from you and how I can improve the show. Until next time, Edwin signing off. Thank you for listening to the Business Leadership Podcast at thebusinessleadership.com.